Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. I just want you to, uh, for a moment, just pause and reflect about what you're feeling right now. Um, first of all, how many of you are thankful that uh, Marshall Hall was uh, here this morning leading us in worship? But I think for quite a few of you also, you're uh, thankful that there is a God who called you that you can worship. Amen? Amen? That's why we're thankful. That's why we can be excited on a morning like this. So I just want you to reflect for a moment. The Spirit of God is always in us as believers. But there are moments it tells us that we're supposed to sing to each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There is something in that process of singing to the Lord and giving Him glory, but also singing in front of others that stirs up uh, that sense of connection. And I don't know if you feel that this morning, but um, it's not just an emotion. It's the Spirit of God not only uniting your thought and your heart with the Lord, uh, you begin to pray differently, you begin to interact differently, but uh, it's Him tilling the heart soil so that you'll listen to the Word. Amen? So let's just, I'm going to continue on the prayer that uh, Marshall had there and ask him to now take that sense of awe that we have of the Lord and drive it home. Let's pray. Father, uh, we were just well led. Help us not to waste those songs of repentance, those songs of reflection, those songs of joy. Father, we have a unique opportunity. We can come here in this space, and it may be that during the course of this week, we were not filled with joy. We were not overwhelmed by goodness that we saw around us. We were not thankful. I pray that you will show us how to have our hearts shaped by you, by these moments, by your word, by what you say rather than what we think. Father, help us to live in a state of agitated anticipation of your soon arrival. You use moments like this to stir us up and to be thankful despite our surroundings. Help us to sense how we can make that a habit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to open in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at a, just a, a few, actually, just a few sh- words in here. One phrase, um, three different expectations in that phrase, uh, but I want us to drink in the context. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called The Satisfied Life, and at the very beginning, the question that was asked of all of us Uh, We've already covered two weeks saying that the satisfied life starts with Jesus and the satisfied life is saturated with the Word. But the question that was posed at the very beginning that I would still have you ask this week is, if the people around you were to take a poll and were to look into your life, would they say that they are looking at somebody who is satisfied? Not just satisfied, as in settled, or satisfied because you have enough, but do you 
overflow with what only God could provide? Is it evident in your life that in spite of the circumstances, there is a joy and a response to the world, a response to the things that happen in your life that can only be explained as having God's fingerprints on them? Are you a person that is satisfied? When you don't get rid of the people in your life, we've asked this each week as well, when you just look in the mirror, are you looking at somebody who is satisfied, who is settled with the Lord? We've been in this week, this last few weeks, um, proceeding with the idea that Scripture offers to you the opportunity to live a satisfied life. And also the idea that psychologists and self-help gurus may give you a lot of rules and a lot of expectations on how to achieve that, but it is unachievable outside of Jesus Christ. Satisfied life is available because of Christ and because uh, you are receiving your direction from the Word of God. The last two weeks of this, I want to give you something, though, that you can do. We're addicted to that as Americans, aren't we? So, so far, we've just settled into the truth. Satisfied life starts with Jesus, is saturated with the Word, but what can I do? Today, we're going to look at something that you can do, and it's be thankful. There was a a butcher who actually uh, one day had a, a large dog come in, and he had a purse, and he sets the purse down in front of uh, the butcher, and the butcher, just joking around, says, uh, well, do you want to buy some meat, buddy? And he goes, woof. And he said, okay, I'll play. He says, uh, you know, we got liver, we got bacon, we got steak. And he goes, woof. He goes, steak, okay. Uh, You want to buy a quarter pound? You want to buy a half pound? You want to buy a one pound steak? Woof. One pound, okay. You want to buy one or two one pound steaks, one pound, two pound, two, two pound of steaks, woof, okay, great. Uh, how are you going to pay for that? And he nudges the purse and he looks inside and there's exactly the right amount of money for two one pound steaks. Now he's shocked. He has somebody mind the counter, he sees the dog pick up his steaks and walked off down the, the road, he gets down to an apartment and he goes up a flight of stairs, and he gets up to this apartment, and he begins to scratch at the door. And the apartment door opens, and the owner begins to berate the dog, shouting at him, and he's irritated. And the butcher steps out from behind a bush. He was just watching this whole scene, and he goes, hey, knock it out. That's the most intelligent, amazing animal that I have ever met. And the owner of the dog looks at him and goes, intelligent? This is the third time this week he's forgotten his key. Somebody is not thankful. (laughs) Have you ever been in a situation where you see that everything around you is actually amazing, but the folks in the room are hyper-focused on the one thing that went wrong? Are you aware that we are in a society right now that literally cannot see what is good because they are focused on what is wrong? 
And are you aware in Scripture it says that bad company corrupts good morals, that as we hang out with those complainers, we begin to think more like them than like God and the thankful person we should be? We miss the point. We see what it is that we're missing out on. There's an odd command in this passage, and I want us to read it together. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 12, we'll read through verse 22. And I want us to stand and just uh, take a look at the entire context, but we're going to focus in particular on verses 16 through 18. The Word of God says this, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you and regard them highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good one for one another and for all. By the way, just a side note there, because we can't chase that trail this morning, but for one another to the brothers and sisters in Christ, and for all, including the entire world. You are not exempt from acting right to people who don't believe in Christ. Do you know that? Do good to all. It says this, verse 16, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the spirit, don't despise prophecies, but test all things, hold on to what is good, stay away from every kind of evil. Do you believe that's God's word? be seated. I just have a couple of things that I want us to focus on, and in particular, that phrasing there in verse 16 through 18. Um, if you're going to church camp uh, in the future, in, in the, you know, the old days, uh, you couldn't get your mail at church camp unless you quoted a verse, and everybody knew Jesus wept. Um, and so we could go up there and quote that verse, but so few actually saw that these verses were just as short. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything. Uh, the reason for that numbering system is these are staccato little statements that are meant to drive a nail right into us. These were meant to be reflected on. Are you somebody who rejoices always? Are you somebody who is praying constantly? Do you give thanks in every circumstance? Now, if I'm looking around, thankfully, you know, we got masks on, so it's easy to hide the expression right now, right? But some of you are thinking, this is ridiculous. I don't know what Paul was trying to do, but he didn't live in our times. No, I, I would suggest to you that Paul lived in times that were worse than this. First thing that I want you to see in this passage is that Thanksgiving requires right thinking, not right circumstances. It requires right thinking, not right circumstances. And right thinking requires perspective. Uh, there was a series of pictures that were taken of Barry College, and uh, one was called uh, Missing Tile. Actually, the original one, it was a picture taken by Mark Chandler, 
Uh, it was actually called Color Abstract. And uh, the original title of that was Color Abstract. So many people objected, and the, the larger picture of this actually shows an entire walkway, uh, and there's just one missing tile. But so many people were irritated by the missing tile that they said, you should rename this missing tile. So if you look for this picture, you will find it uh, under both names online, either as Color Abstract by Mark Chandler or Missing Tile. Why? They could not get over the missing tile. But what is the place that he was actually at when he's taking this picture? Uh, it was at Berry College. We have a picture of it here. Uh, it was considered the most beautiful campus in the world for a college. It's actually uh, in the United States. Um, they don't train wizards there. They actually, uh, this is actually a college for people that are real, Okay. This is just one of the shots of some of the most amazing scenes. If you back off, that tile is hidden in one of the walkways right here on the way up to this main hall. How many times have you actually gotten so stuck on the one thing that is missing in your life, you have missed the beauty of what it is that God has actually provided for you? We need to make sure that we have a right focus. It is possible to focus on what is missing and miss where you are. The larger context in this passage, let me just read it to you, and I want you to listen. In chapter 5, verse 1 says this, about the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you. Uh, By the way, if Paul says you don't need something to be written to you, he's saying it is so obvious. I'm literally only writing it down so people later on will be able to wrap their minds around it. You don't need anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Day of the Lord, that's when everything gets wrapped up. A lot of pieces to that, but let's just leave that there. When they say peace and security, do we see that in our culture right now? Peace and safety, peace and security, this is the way to have those. When they say peace and security, then suddenly Destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. Just a side note, God's not going to leave you as believers without an understanding of the times. And in other words, you will not accidentally follow the Antichrist. Can I have an amen? Amen. Okay. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of who's been vaccinated or who hasn't, but nobody here is following the Antichrist. Amen should have been stronger. All right. I'm not saying put the name of your favorite politician here. I'm just saying... It's not the Antichrist right now. Why? We're children of the day. We would all be aware of it. God's not going to leave us without knowledge of this, okay? When you attack your brothers and sisters based on those things, you are doing Satan's work, not God's. He's the accuser. You're all children of light. So then, let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. That's his only allegory he gives us, his only metaphor, But since we belong to the day, be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet and hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, 
but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live together with him. Even if you are sleepwalking through life right now, God, if you've given your life to him, will get you home. Do you know that? You may be asleep in the light. God will get you home. Why do I give you that context? There's a picture at the very beginning that is super important for us to wrap our minds around. And I I just want to give a little trigger warning here. I, I want to talk about that metaphor of birth. We have babies that are in the auditorium, babies that are in this church. How delightful is it for a family to have their arms full? Are you thankful? Many of you can remember that day. That does not mean that you have forgotten what preceded those moments where your arms were full. The birth pangs come on suddenly, but there was probably somebody, if you have right now an extended family, there was probably somebody in the room who was coaching you like this. You were made for this. You're going to be okay. The baby is almost here. We're about to be able to see him or her. You're about to greet your little one. How is it that somebody in so much pain can still be filled with anticipation or with joy? Because something is about to arrive that is beautiful. But it says... It's not so for those who are in the world who don't believe. Their agitation, their insecurity is right. Why? Because the birth pains come and the result are empty arms and destruction. It's not an extension of family. It is only forsaken. All of the pain, none of the blessing. That's what the picture is. There's two groups of people. And when the pain and the pressure comes, one has no hope. And their response is evident. One is filled with hope. This means my family is about to grow. And their response is evident. Which one are you? That's what Paul is looking at. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. This would be a ridiculous ask if there wasn't something greater coming. But something greater is coming. He's not just telling you to ignore how you feel. He's not saying ignore the symptoms. He's not saying ignore your surroundings. He's saying embrace them and know that means the time is close. We're going to see Jesus. Do you believe it? Thanksgiving requires right thinking, not right circumstances. But a second thing that we see in this passage, in particular in that phrase, give thanks in everything for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, is that Thanksgiving is a keystone activity. Have you ever seen a keystone in an arch? We have a picture of one here. It's actually a famous one. It goes all the way back to about 160 B.C. This arch is still standing. Uh, The roadways around it still going. It's still able to hold an incredible amount of weight because of the way that the weight is distributed through those stones. That keystone at the very top is the final piece that would have been put in place. That's important for a roadway, but you know, they actually have begun to use this term even in uh, biology or ecology. They have species they call keystone species. Are you aware in certain places on reefs that they've actually removed some creatures from places along the reef to see what the uh, result would be to that reef and to that area? And some little fish they remove, and there's a little negative impact, but not much. Some predators they remove, and there's a little impact, not much. But in one study that they did of this red starfish, um, they actually 
remove the starfish from a section of the reef and the entire section goes desolate. Because of what it eats, because of what it feeds, because of the creatures that create a dependency on it, they identified it as a keystone species. There was this one little red-headed tortoise. I don't know the actual name of it. Don't look up red-headed tortoise. I don't know what you'll find, but... This little guy in Africa actually was considered a keystone species uh, in areas that were wooded, that were prone to actually having fires. This little guy, all, his entire life, this is all he does. He gets down in one place and starts to dig. And he eats a little something that he finds, and then he just keeps digging. And he digs these great giant holes, which are really troublesome for a guy that's just walking along, and he gets to the thin-skinned area that that little tortoise has been digging in. But in areas that are prone to fire, um, rabbits, all, all kinds of creatures that are from there, including predators and prey, all look for these burrows and they dive into them. When they removed these little tortoises that their entire life, all they do is just scratch around in the dirt. They don't seem to be that important. But when they removed them, a fire would sweep through. The entire place would be eradicated and it would turn into a desert. Is that insane? Keystone creatures. They don't seem that important, but they are critical. Thanksgiving is a keystone activity. If it's missing in your life, you're not going to be happy. Happiness does not make you thankful. Scripture actually indicates that your thanksgiving will lead to happiness, to choice, to choice that you make. Uh, the great theologian Dennis Prager Thank you for that laughter. He wrote a book called Happiness is a Serious Problem, but he actually has something that he says in there that I think is profound, and it was based on a series of studies, so he has all the science to back it up, and he says, this is the conclusion. All happy people are grateful, and ungrateful people cannot be happy. We tend to think that it is being unhappy that leads people to complain, but it is truer, according to the statistics, it is truer to say that complaining leads people to become unhappy. That's an amazing quote. We have a saying around here at the church, what you vent, you cement. What you begin to complain about all the time becomes a part of your character. So whatever you are speaking about if it's constant dejection, if it's constant irritation, then you will cement into your character irritation and dejection. If it is joy, if it is thanksgiving, if it's an awareness that God's coming soon and these things are leading to a conclusion that is filled with hope, that will become a part of how you respond. It's a keystone activity. I also want you to note that thanksgiving is the hallmark of an others-oriented life, verses 14 and 15. It says, and we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see to it. Now, he's, he's putting stuff into our basket of things to do. Be about this, lifting up, pulling forward, encouraging, challenging, blessing. There are people around you that are discouraged today. Be about helping them. There are people that are downtrodden. Lift them up. There are some people who are constantly going off the path into a place that will ruin their business, their marriage, their relationships, their life. You find those people. Get alongside them and help push them forward, he says. 
See to it that no one repays evil for evil. Protest for protest. Angry statement for angry statement. But pursue what is good for one another and for all. What's the hallmark of an others-oriented life? You begin to rejoice always. Our world doesn't do that. You begin to pray constantly. Why? Because it's hard to rejoice always, isn't it? You ever have a conversation with God saying, Lord, I know you're good, but man, have you seen what's on TV? I know you're good, but Lord, have you listened to the conversations we've been having? And then give thanks. It's a hallmark of another oriented life, but also thanksgiving is born out of faith. Look at this phrase. Underline it in your Bible if you have a paper one. If you don't, highlight it, put it... Pull that out of there and memorize this thought. Four different times we see this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If you've ever wondered, what does God want me to do? Four different times in Scripture, he says, just make sure whatever you think I want you to do, you don't miss these things. Look that phrase up. Search it out. Four different times he says, this is God's will for you. And he says, this is the one that is positive. In the other ones, he says, do not... Go out and hang out with people that will corrupt your good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. Do the right thing and follow the Lord. Don't be deceived. He says, make sure that you understand God's will for you is that you abstain from adultery. He says, this is God's will for you, that you abstain from drunkenness. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. We'll play games with all those areas. But this one is only positive. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I don't know if you've ever run into somebody from Monday night or uh, somebody that spent a lot of time around Matt McCullen. You're going to hear this phrase. How you doing today? I'm thankful. Anybody heard that? Is that register? Yeah. How you doing today? I'm thankful. Instantly, there's a question in your mind. You're thankful? Why? That's what you begin to assess. The first time that you hear, I'm thankful. Well, what are you saying? Are you saying, I'm not thankful? (laughs) I mean, there are times where Matt could rightfully say, well, if you're thankful, you should tell your face. (laughs) How are you doing today? I'm thankful. I'm thankful. Do you know that the opposite of thankfulness is evident? There's actually antonyms. Just look it up on your own, Webster's Dictionary. Near antonyms for unthankful, or for the opposite of, uh, which would be the opposite of thankfulness, would be uh, aggrieved, anguished, blue, brokenhearted, dejected, depressed, despondent, disheartened, downcast, forlorn, doleful, mournful, sorrowful, dark, dispirited, gloomy, glum. You guys encouraged by this list? Pure antonyms for for thankfulness are displeased, dissatisfied, joyless, sad, unhappy. Folks, that's our world. But if I'm honest, that is many believers. If thanksgiving is an act of faith, And it's one of the ways we put our faith on display. It's one of the four ways God says, do this if you want to be in my will. 
How are we putting him on display if we're not thankful, if we're not rejoicing, if we're not praying, we've missed it. We have announced to the world not our faith, but our lack of faith. It's a keystone activity. Final thought. As we look at this series, The Satisfied Life, the final thought is that the satisfied life is thankful. That's the one thing I want you to write down. Andy Cook, when he was preaching about this, tells a story of a gal named Pam. She worked downtown, and she was near a church, and the church was known for helping those who had uh, found themselves on the streets. And on a regular basis, every single day out in front of this church, there was this gal in an old shabby coat that would ask for a little bit of help, had not yet submitted to the process of discipleship that was available right there inside the doors, but was right out front. And for whatever reason, Pam's heart was always won by this gal. And she gave her a little something on the way by and reminded her that God loved her. Well, all of a sudden, one day, that person was no longer there. And at this moment, I just want you to submit your thoughts to the Lord. Some of you are wondering, well, what should we do and what programs would answer this? And we head right into politics. Turn that off. Pam is no longer there. She doesn't see this person. And a year later, that person in the shabby coat shows back up. And she says, oh, at least she's alive. Pam goes to her and she says, hey, are you doing okay? And she just went to give the same donation she'd typically done along with the heart of goodwill. She says, no, no, I need you to understand. I found Christ. My life is different. I'm just wearing a coat so people will recognize me. But I'm here handing out donuts to people who had prayed for me and who had come by and actually encouraged me in the Lord. You're one of those people. She gave her a donut. Carbs are good. She went back and she gave thanks. Now, there's a whole lot of things we probably want the story to also say. That's the story. But one of the signs that your life has been transformed is a thankful heart. Is that you? A satisfied life is thankful. May we put God on display the way he asks us to. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would... Help us to have a satisfied life, to be transformed by what it is that we proclaim. You say that being thankful is part of the satisfied life. In fact, it is a command from you. One of the ways that we will reach this broken and lost world is through rejoicing, prayer, and thankfulness, not acid, correction, and bitterness. Father, set us free from acting like the world and cause us to look like your children. Put Christ on display in our words and our thoughts and our actions. Help us to be those who are truly thankful. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.